0: Welcome back to Center Rice. I'm Matthew Maynard. Mac Vincent is on the line from St. George, Utah. Mac, how are you doing?
1: Doing well. Enjoying the playoffs as usual and really excited to get this show going. We want to thank all the listeners on last week's show. It was pretty bare bones. We just wanted to get back into the swing of things. This one will be a lot more structured and we're looking forward to it as always. How about you, Mac? Oh, I'm looking forward
0: to it. Of course, this episode is one I've marked on my calendar because we, we talked about the teams that are in the playoffs, and we'll, we'll get back into that next week when round two concludes. But this week, we got to focus on the majority of teams that are on the outside looking in now. And
1: yeah, Yeah, exactly. One. Continue.
0: And the way we're going to structure this is well, we were having some discussion. We weren't sure to go from teams that just missed it or teams that missed it way back in February, January. So we decided we're going to talk a lot. We have a lot of conversation about the teams that really missed it. So we're going to start off from the bottom and we're going to work our way up. And unfortunately for me, that means the Ottawa Senators are up first. I got to say, the one nice thing about the Senators being at the bottom is there's lots of stuff to talk about with this team.
1: Yeah, there, there always is. We can talk about that Melnick guy, but I'm pretty sure everybody is well aware of the issue he presents to the team and the fans. So I I don't think we need to talk too much about him. Clearly they either need him to change his mindset towards the team or they need a new owner um, just so that they can kind of get back on on the right track and stop letting these guys develop and trading them away like they have done Time after time, the last couple of years, Eric Carlson and then Mark Stone, those two really hurt, especially, I think.
0: Well, you're in Utah now. Just to touch on Mark Stone quickly, now that he's kind of in your general area, did the awareness of how good Mark Stone as a player really increase when he got traded to Vegas?
1: Yeah, I think so. First of all, you got to see him in playoff action, and he was outstanding, leading the league in playoff points. or tied for the lead in playoff points. The Vegas Golden Knights did not have the season ending they would have hoped, which would be to raise Lord Stanley. They came close last year. This year, bit of a different story, but I, I'm telling you from around here, Just, I went to one Vegas Knights game, and that was against the uh, Minnesota Wild. And everybody noticed Mark Stone. The Minnesota Wild fans were talking about him. There were a lot of them there. And I started to see a lot of Mark Stone jerseys as well. Marc-Andre Fleury, clearly the most popular player among the Knights. That's no surprise. But part of me wonders if Mark Stone... Now, listen to me, Matt. What do you think about this? Is he the next Vegas Golden Knights captain?
0: Absolutely. From watching him as a player grow in Ottawa, there was conversation, especially at the start of the season, would Mark Stone be given the C? And I can tell you that I'm sure there were some serious considerations by the coaching staff behind the scenes. Ultimately, it didn't end up happening, but there was the belief, especially around the trade deadline, that. Ottawa would sign Mark Stone to a long term deal and they give him the C starting next season. Of course, that didn't end up happening. He's down in Vegas now. But as a Senators fan, I don't mind the return they got for Mark Stone, but it still does hurt because you mentioned when we started talking about the Senators that the Sens have a lot of great players and they do a great, they have a really good development team. They develop some really good prospects and really good players. But at the end of the day, the problem is, and the concern from fans in Ottawa right now, is that guys like Shabbat, Kachuk, White, Brown, etc., are going to become really good players like Mark Stone and Eric Carlson did. But when it comes time to pay them in three or four years, Melnick's not going to pay up. That's going to be the concern.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Like we said, that is the chief concern among Ottawa Senators fans. And I think just I, – I really wonder if at some point Gary Bettman or the other owners kind of step in and say, you know, your fans deserve better. We think, you know, we vote that he should sell the team or something like that because – this is it's the same story year after year. They compete in the playoffs. They ha- they have a good team this year. Obviously, a lot of their guys were gone. They traded most of their players. They've traded so many players the last two three seasons. So I just wonder if, like, what is it going to take for Melnick to realize that this plan of developing players until they're really good players and trading them off for prospects is, it's just silly. It doesn't make any sense. And I guess I don't want to talk about Melnick too much, but again, I wonder, I don't understand how he continues to do this, and I really hope for Senators fans that the team's either sold or he starts to understand how to run a team because he doesn't know. He well, really just, doesn't.
0: Well, just to wrap up on that point quickly, Gary Bettman was in Ottawa yesterday, I believe. Yeah, it was yesterday. And he was saying that Eugene Melnick wasn't going to sell the team. The team wasn't for sale. But part of me knows that Gary Bettman speaks for the owners. And if they're going to sell the team, he does. they don't want it to be too publicly, right? They don't want people. That's
1: true. Especially yep.
0: right now. This is the money-making time for the playoffs. Of course, they make money during the regular season, preseason, whatever. But this is the time when their ratings are at their highest and their income is at the highest. So they don't want to, even if, sorry, even if the uh, Sens are not in the playoffs, they don't want to set a precedent to everyone, to all the people who want to own an NHL team. And I, you and I both know there's lots of people out there that would love to own an NHL team right now, especially now that the league is expanding to 32 teams. They don't want to devalue the Ottawa Senators. So they're not going to come out and publicly say, Eugene Melnick is going to sell the team. I do think there's been some conversations among the owners saying, Melnick, if you're not going to sell the team, you need to bring someone else. It can't just be you anymore because what you're doing, as you mentioned, Mac, is silly.
1: Yeah, and we can talk about the prospects and we will mention some of them. They have some really good prospects. Obviously you have Shabbat, Kachuk, Brandstrom who they acquired. You also, as you mentioned, White, Batherson, Formanton. Like these are pretty darn good prospects. So it's not like they don't they have a good development team, like you mentioned. They know how to develop players. In my opinion, they're one of the best teams at developing players in the league. So I really hope that things start to turn around for them because, you know, you're, you're a Sens fan. I know lots of people that are senators fans and you just don't like to see an owner have ruling a team with an iron fist like he does and just controlling everything they do. But I think we should move on. Let's talk about the New Jersey devils, Matt. Well,
0: New Jersey, I think, as much as they didn't finish in as low as Ottawa or L.A., I think that the Devils had a more painful season than the Senators, especially after the season they had coming in to this season. The expectations were pretty high, and rightly so. Of course, we all kind of had a feeling in the back of our head that this team isn't going to be as good as the team we saw last year, but there was no reason why they couldn't compete for another wild card spot, especially with their prospects peaking at the right time they were all having career years of course Taylor Hall was doing Taylor Hall things he sure was very good overall the team was just peaking at the right time but it all fell off this year
1: it really did like you said I I think there was there was something different about the team last year they had a chip on their shoulder all of them were playing so well Keith Kincaid, especially, stepping in for Corey Schneider and having an excellent season this year, not near the same for him. You mentioned Taylor Hall. He was injured for most of the year, and he's their best player. If you look at just offensive production, their top player had had about 50 points. That's it. Nico Heischer, a decent season. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of positives to come out of this season, for me, except for a couple things—sorry, three things. Well, number one, you have the number one overall draft. Pick, well, that's a so huge, that's pretty good, right? <laughs>
0: that's, I think that's a huge plus for the Devils. If they didn't get number one or number two, not saying that they wouldn't get a solid player in the draft, but getting a guy like Jack Hughes will really help them, in, especially, not only in the short term but in the long term.
1: Absolutely. I think they're taking Hughes. I don't think they're taking Kakko. Caco.
0: No, Kako's a good player. But watching Hughes in the U18s, he's just, he's far and away the most notable player on Team USA. And he has been carrying them at times. He's been so good. He's been a joy to watch.
1: Yeah, he set the tournament record for most points. Guess who had the previous tournament record? This, this is pretty special.
0: I'm going to guess Crosby here.
1: Good guess. Ovechkin. Ooh, well, so, that he's so in good guy company guy either good. way. Yeah.
0: And Having a Hughes will certainly help bolster that offense. You mentioned how the Devils' offense wasn't that good this year at all. Leading scorer only having 50 points. Jack Hughes is going to be a huge shot in the arm for the Devils. My question ultimately is goaltending, though. You mentioned how Keith Kincaid really fell off this year. I don't know if I'm too confident in the devil's goaltending abilities.
1: What about you? Yeah, that's a big question. I would say the only guy that I can really say I'm that that is showing promise is Mackenzie Blackwood. This is a young guy. He's talented. He was drafted fairly high in the draft. I mean, he's been through the leagues. He's been through juniors. He went to the AHL. And he had his moments this year where he was quite spectacular, not consistent, but remember goalies are weird and usually they don't peak until around 26, 27, some peak when they're a little bit older. But for me, this is a guy that he could be at least part of the solution or maybe the solution for the devils in the future. So we'll see what he does next year. But I, I think they do feel pretty good about Mackenzie Blackwood right now.
0: What do you think the Devils need to do in the offseason? I don't think there's expectations from Devils fans to make the playoffs next year, but I think that there are expectations that this team is better than what they showed this year.
1: Yeah, you have to be better. I don't think Devils fans will appreciate another season of throwing out a AHL junior team the second half of the season and basically tanking for a draft pick because there's only so much that that can do for your team. And if you look at the roster, it's it's not a terrible roster. They could make some improvements. Ray Shiro is is a very good GM. He may look at trading some people. I mean, I don't know how good they feel about some of their defensemen, some of their forwards. Obviously, it's going to be very difficult to trade a guy like Corey Schneider. That's probably not happening. But I think he will definitely make an effort to improve the team. But at the same time, like you said, he's committed to a rebuild. So
0: It's, it's more of a, a long-term commitment for this rebuild than a short-term one. Because they could have another season like we saw a couple years ago where everyone just had a chip on their shoulder and they all happen to peak at the right time but if you're a Devils fan I'm sure you'd rather have sustained success like you did in the early 2000s and late 90s than you would having a fluke playoff run every couple years so I think the Devils are taking the right approach here they're going to develop their prospects properly they're going to give them lots of playing time and I'd say over the next two three years this Devils team will get a lot better.
1: Yeah, I I think so, too. I'm confident in Ray Shiro. You know, he built the Penguins and he knows that these things take time. He knows that certain mistakes are made, things that you have to, you know, sometimes you don't evaluate players the right way. And sometimes you have to let go a guy that you really didn't think was a guy that you were going to trade away for example. But I think the good thing about the Devils when you look at their cap situation is they don't really have a whole lot of guys there where you look at the cap number and you say, that's a really bad contract.
0: Yeah. That's one big bless that the Devils have. Same with Ottawa is that they're not really in any cap trouble and they've got lots of room to go inside and players or make some moves that will benefit your team. Now, there is one team that we kind of skipped over when we skipped to the Devils, and I want to get onto to them in a second. It is the Los Angeles Kings. Now, this may be a bit of a controversial opinion for Kings fans, but between the Senators and the LA Kings, not saying either team was great, but I, whenever I saw the LA Kings, I thought they were, they were the worst team in the NHL. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I... I... I think the team um, gave up on the season pretty quickly. There were certain guys that were really playing for, for contracts and trying to improve. And one of those guys that I really noticed is Jack Campbell. You remember once upon a time, he was a high draft pick. He was expected to be, you know, the next great American goalie. And he flopped. He struggled. So he thought about quitting hockey he's been to various leagues but now you know he's around that 26-27 age range he's been through the AHL and he's really developed into quite a good goalie small sample size this year but he was outstanding i thought yeah, he one was... of the top save percentages in the league in about less than 30 games played mind you but this guy could prove to be an absolute steal of a signing for the LA Kings
0: absolutely if, if you're a Kings fan to me it was one of the few bright spots for the Kings this year because not much else was really going right of course there were I wouldn't say the Kings had super high expectations coming into this season but I think there were a fair amount of people out there that were saying well this team we're not expecting them to contend for the cup but we could see them pushing for a wild card spot at best. mediocre at worst, but everything seemed to have gone wrong except for, of course, Campbell this season for the LA Kings. And the cap situation for the Kings isn't all that good either.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. They have very little cap space. The Kovalchuk signing could not have been worse. 34 points, and I personally didn't notice him unless he was on the power play.
0: No, he he didn't have a good season at all. Uh, there, I don't think a lot of people had super high expectations for him coming into the season, but there, I don't think anyone imagined him being as bad as he was on the Kings this season. Of course, the Kings did have their fair share of injuries this season, but if you look at cap-friendly right now, the Kings only have $2.2 million in cap space, and a lot of the deals they have right now are long-term big money deals. Kopitar is signed for ten million a year through twenty-three, twenty-four. Ilya Kovalchuk six point two five to the end of the twenty 2020, twenty twenty twenty-one season, and of course, Drew Dowdy's extension is going to kick in after this season.
1: Yeah, a lot of big contracts. A lot of guys that were part of that kind of older core. And that's going to be difficult for them to navigate. The good thing about the Kings right now is they've got a lot of draft picks. They have two picks in the upcoming draft. And they have a lot of really good prospects. I think they, they have one of the top kind of high-end farm systems in terms of who they've got coming up. You look at Rasmus Kupari, Gabe Velarde, Mikey Anderson, Akil Thomas. Those are their top four. Really good, really good players.
0: To me, it's not the prospects that concerns me. It's just the cap. If they can navigate the cap and they can – and they're patient with their rebuild, that's what it comes down to for most teams is you just got to be patient and develop your prospects properly. We've seen it time and time again where teams will rush prospects and it doesn't pan out for them. So if the Kings – can find a way to move some of their bigger contracts and can continue to let their top prospects develop like they are right now, the Kings could be competing again in the next few years.
1: Yeah, no question. That's a big challenge for Rob Blake. And this is where he has to really put his money where his mouth is. He was picked as the guy to manage this team. This is a difficult situation. He needs to navigate when you're managing a team that has won two Stanley cups and still has most of those players around, but you don't have a lot of cap space. Like you said, you do have draft capital. You do have prospects, but navigating with very little cap space is going to be quite difficult. Can he do it? we'll find out.
0: All right, let's move on to Buffalo, a team that had, I would say decent expectations this year. Of course, Getting Rasmus Dahlin at number one certainly raised their expectations right away. And there were points this season where the Buffalo Sabres were quite good. They were playing solid hockey. Goaltending was good. Rasmus Dahlin, of course, was very good for the Buffalo Sabres this season. And Jack Eichel really stepped it up this season. Whenever he was on the ice, especially when he was in Ottawa, I got to see him a few times. He... He's just a treat to watch. It's his team now, you can tell. And I think that the um, Buffalo Sabres are a team that are on the rise.
1: Yeah, no question. Like you mentioned, just kind of a tale of two seasons. I almost didn't recognize the Sabres team in the second half of the season, apart from, like you said, Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, those kind of players. But still... A lot of hope a lot of promise with this group you still have guys that are developing whether or not they've put huge points on the board is one thing Casey Mittelstadt, Rasmus Dahlén, called their finalists pretty good year for Sam Reinhart. I mentioned career year for Jeff Skinner and another guy I want to highlight is Uko Pekalukinen. to me this this kid represents a future star in net for the Buffalo Sabres. And I believe that he will be. Goalies tend to be strange and tough to predict, but I think he's quite special. He won OHL Goalie of the Year this year with a 920 save percentage, 38 wins and six shutouts with the Sudbury Wolves. He's now with the Amherst in the playoffs and he continues to just develop incredibly well, Uko
0: Oh Yeah, I got to see him when Sudbury was playing Ottawa in the playoffs, and he and Mikey DiBietro were just dueling all series long. Ultimately, the 67s juggernaut kept on rolling. They swept the Sudbury Wolves, but they didn't make it easy, that's for sure. And he'll be a a big boost for the Buffalo Sabres. Carter Hutton was decent at times this season for the Buffalo Sabres as well as you mentioned it was a tale of two seasons for the Buffalo Sabres there were times where especially I found towards the middle of the season there were times where I was thinking this team could potentially push for a wild card spot injuries didn't help them either of course but if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan I think you've got to be pretty happy with how your team's improving especially season over season it was a Points total wasn't a huge difference, but I think the quality of hockey that the team was playing when they were on on point was very good. And they have a good number of draft picks this year as well. They've got two first round picks this year, and they've got a a good stock of draft picks. So the the uh, prospect pool is going to keep getting bigger for the Buffalo Sabers. And I this team is a team I'd keep an eye on next season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the next one.
0: Right. Well, I skipped over Detroit, but let's go back to Detroit because Detroit's an interesting case because Detroit really wasn't that good this year. There were a couple times where they had a bit of... they They were solid, but they weren't great. And for me, Detroit... Yeah, you've got... Shanahan coming back, but.
1: Izerman, sorry, Iserman,
0: Iserman. <laughs> sorry, I get all confused. It's all good. You know, Toronto, Detroit, close enough. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Y- how can I forget Iserman? Because you know, big Steve Iserman rink just down the road. Anyways, Detroit, interesting situation with Detroit. When to me, Detroit has some solid players in their system, but. It's, it's like the Kings, right? They, it's just it's the cap that's going to hurt them.
1: It is, and you look at that cap situation. They don't have any cap space right now. You look at some of these contracts that Stevie Iserman is going to have to kind of deal with. Thirty-two years old, Justin Abdulkader locked in at four point two five until twenty twenty-two. 2023 like that is just not a good contract danny de kaiser five million dollars for danny de kaiser locked in until 2021 2022 the goalies big contracts jimmy howard expiring next year jonathan bernier three million expiring 2020 2021 so that it really is much like the LA Kings. I mean, they have a solid prospect group. Well,
0: they've got they guys like some... Zadina who yeah, didn't blow everyone away this season, but he certainly improved as the season went along. Of course, they've got Valeno as well. They've got guys like Lindstrom on, coming up on D as well. So, so they've got some solid prospects in that system. But as you mentioned, it's, it's the cap space. That's going to hurt them. They've got no cap space at the moment, according to Cap Friendly. I took a look at this. Absolutely none. Of course, the cap's going to rise, which is going to help them. But it's not going to rise enough to really make a difference for them.
1: Yeah, so that's the challenge. I mean, I think, I think what you have to do if you're them is start trading away some of these guys for kind of any return or draft picks you can get. Take half their salary. You have to be creative because the cap, if it is what it is right now, will continue to hinder them going forward. You mentioned they have good prospects. I wanted to mention Jared McIsaac, Really solid year with the Halifax Mooseheads. Joe Valeno, 104-point season. Lastly, Dylan Larkin. This kid is really developing well. He improved his two-way game this year, especially on face-offs.
0: Yeah, Dylan Larkin was one of the few bright spots for the Detroit Red Wings this year. He was really good on the two-way game. Of course, he put up a decent amount of points especially on the team that he was on and they've got him on a decent contract right now as well. He's at 6.1 million for till 2022-2023. So, that's a good team-friendly contract if he continues to improve the way he is. So, Detroit has some potential. It's just it's like the LA Kings. It's just a matter of navigating the cap. So let's keep on trucking. We got the New York Rangers. Now this is a team, in my opinion, with a lot of potential. I really like the direction the New York Rangers are heading.
1: No reason not to. Pleasantly surprised by the Rangers this year myself. Mika Zibanejad has developed into a really well-rounded player. The goalie combination with Henrik Lundqvist and Alex Georgiev was pretty impressive. Despite what the stats might say, namely goals against average, especially Georgiev down the stretch. I mean, he was flat out stealing games. Expect them to go after Artemi Panarin. You have several high end prospects that are probably going to see the NHL this year, including Vitaly Kraftsov and Adam Fox, who they just signed, by the way, for free. Well, it costs them for a free, draft but- pick.
0: But that's a really, but, you know, that's a really good, good trade. Especially yeah. with the potential Adam Fox has. He could be a we could look back on this in two or three years and say, wow, the New York Rangers fleece to the Carolina Hurricanes in that deal.
1: Yeah, it, it that was tough for them because you know, the kid really chose to sign with the Rangers. He never wanted to sign with the Hurricanes after he was really a big part of that trade between them and Calgary, and he just leaves, and you get a draft pick back. So now the challenge for Carolina on that end is to make the most of that. They've done a pretty good job with that, I would say. Yeah, they. But what? They've what got about a, some concerns for for the Rangers, Matt.
0: Well, the there are a few concerns for the Rangers. Of course, they've got a decent amount of cap space, but there they do have some aging players on. The Rangers as well. One concern I do have is Henrik Lundqvist. He's 37 now, and he—I, not that he's a bad player per se, but you can certainly see he's starting to drop off. He—he he was so good for so long, and over the past couple of years, people have been wondering when is Henrik Lundqvist going to start to drop off, and I think that we're starting to see it now.
1: That's true, but it, it's a manageable contract. Yeah, yeah. And- He'll still play in the NHL. I think he'll still split games with Georgiev, or maybe they have plans of bringing in another goaltender. I don't know. I agree it's a concern, but... You mentioned some of those other players. Kevin Shattenkirk at over $6 million per in three years left. That one hurts.
0: Yeah, that one will hurt. hurt. Thankfully for the Rangers, as I mentioned, they do have a decent amount of calf space, and I think... With some clever maneuvering, the Rangers could find a way to move that contract potentially. Jeff Gordon's a pretty smart guy, and we know he's got a knack for making deals like that. And so I'm not overly concerned about the Rangers. I think it's just a matter of letting your prospects develop and getting rid of the uh, Albatross contracts like the Shattenkirk deal.
1: Yeah, let's move on to the next one.
0: Yeah, let's keep on moving. We got Edmonton Oilers, who um, I believe, last I checked, still don't have a full-time general manager.
1: They do not, and I wonder who that will be. I've heard whispers it may be Ken Holland. I think that would be a mistake. Not because I don't think Ken Holland is a good candidate. I just think there are better candidates, and I think his body of work with the Detroit Red Wings – over the last five years, is not very good at all, so that would be a concern for me if they picked him as the GM. Well, Clearly, they crazy. wanted McCrimmon. Yeah, but that's a big McCrimmon stayed with Vegas.
0: I think that was their number one candidate, but of course, I I think it's a good move by the Vegas Golden Knights to keep both McCrimmon and McPhee, and, and now I think Edmonton. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in a bit of a scramble now because. This McCrimmon was the guy you could kind of tell they were focusing in on and now he's off the table. Rug got pulled out from under them. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think is the best way I can describe it. Edmonton is in a funny situation as well because they've got Drysdale and they've got McDavid and that, those two will always be the X factors for the Oilers, but you could kind of tell at, during the um p- the end of season uh <laughs> press conference with McDavid, he was getting frustrated because he came to Edmonton to win and this team just, it's frustrating. I, and you can tell it's frustrating for not only Oilers fans, but for McDavid because he's having career years, Him, he and Lisa, Leon Dreisaitl, but they still aren't making the playoffs.
1: Agreed 100%. It's pretty simple for the Oilers. They don't have any cap space. The goaltending is questionable. They need a new GM, someone who can help them uh, into a winner again. And you need to surround Dreisaitl and McDavid with better players. You need to make the most of that cap number because they need to move some of these contracts. Maybe, maybe you say something like, you say, okay, we're going to do kind of like a mini rebuild for a couple years and we're going to trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins and this guy. And we're going to get a high-end prospect and a draft pick in return. And we're going to save a bunch of money so that we can start signing some of these guys that we're drafting. Or maybe they have a plan of a trade. It really is very similar to the LA Kings and the Detroit Red Wings. It's pretty simple. You need to maneuver around the cap. You need to make this team a winner again.
0: Absolutely. Would you consider flipping Milan Lucic as well? Because I know he's a leader on that team, but he's got that no-move clause and $6 million a year until 2022-2023. If they can move that contract, I know there are people that like Milan Lucic, but I think getting him off that off your cap would be a huge plus for the Oilers, don't you?
1: Uh, yes 100 percent. that's going to be very very tough to move but maybe you say to a team hey we'll take half the contract and we'll pay him three mil you pay the other three mil each year for the remainder of the deal and we'll throw in a draft pick i don't know but well, i think that's a contract to be they done need. they need to that move regard. that contract
0: because it, it's taking up six million dollars of cap even if they even if they did half the contract that's Still $3 million extra million in cap space that you didn't have to sign players, and now you have it. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Oilers do. Whoever the new GM is will have a busy offseason, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, let's continue.
0: So Anaheim, let's go over to the Ducks. Anaheim uh, had a rough season. They had a really rough season, especially towards the middle of the season. I forget how many they lost in a row, but they I think it was – 11 or 12 or so. It was a um, rough season. Of course, injuries yeah. didn't help either.
1: Yeah, I mean, John Gibson was under siege most of the year. He was banged up a little bit. He was sixth in saves. He faced a lot of shots. The one thing that's really that I've really kind of started to understand with the Anaheim Ducks is I think, in particular, the their pro scouting needs to be improved because – if you look at some of the trades they've made in terms of at the NHL level, a lot of them are questionable. For example, why did you trade Marcus Pedersen to Pittsburgh for Daniel Sprong? Pedersen was terrific this year for Pittsburgh. He played in every game for them. Daniel Sprong didn't do anything for the Ducks, and I think they lost that one big time. Another cap crunch, you'll notice that a lot with these bottoming teams. Less than $1 million in cap space. A lot of the same players you know locked up on long-term deals. You do have Troy Terry, Sam Steele, and Maxime Comtois. They're developing pretty well.
0: Oh, yeah. the, the three Those three guys are going to be the future of the Anaheim Ducks. Of course, I got to see a lot of Sam Steele this season. I really like watching him play Comtois. Of course, people weren't thrilled with how he played at the World Juniors, but it in the uh, in the CHL, he was a solid. He was very solid this year. I think the Ducks are excited to see him. Anaheim's got a few solid players coming up, but I feel like a broken record at this point, Mac. But it's the cap space that's hurting a lot of these teams. Mm-hmm. So we're we're starting to run a little short on time. So we're going to speed things up a bit here. Let's go to Vancouver. Vancouver fans have got to be excited about the future now, because yeah. I know they didn't make the playoffs this year, but whenever I got to watch a Vancouver game, of course it's a bit tough because I'm on the East Coast and they're on the West Coast. But whenever I did, I really liked seeing how they were playing. Of course, Patterson was just a uh, joy to watch every night in and night out. I think he's a lock for the Calder this year. I don't see him not winning it. Bo Horvat had a solid season. O- overall, I think the uh, Vancouver Canucks have a very bright future ahead of them. And they're one of the teams we can actually say have a good amount of cap space. They have $8 million in cap space, and they've got a solid core of prospects that are quickly on the rise.
1: I agree with everything you said. I'm going to say that they're going to take a run at Eric Carlson this summer. I don't see why they wouldn't. They're a team going in the right direction, absolutely. Yeah. If you're uh, the
0: Vancouver Canucks and uh, Jim Benning, you could make a really good pitch to guys like Eric Carlson this off season, saying, "Hey, you can come to Vancouver. You can live in a nice city where the winters aren't too too bad. And this is a team where maybe not next year, but a year or two down the line, we can we will be competing for a Stanley Cup." Yeah, I, I did, no question. I'd say that's a really good pitch because you could say, our window isn't open just yet, but it's going to be open very soon. So instead of joining a team where the window is already wide open and could be closing any day, this is a team that's on the rise, and it's an exciting team to watch. It's exciting times in Vancouver, to say the least.
1: All right, let's continue.
0: Yes, let's continue on. Let's go to Philly. Philly's a team that uh, disappoints me every year. I got to be honest. Philly, y- y- they disappoint me because every year we've done our season preview show, I've boasted about how good I think Philly's D is and how, how their offensive core is pretty solid and their goaltending is going to be good eventually, but everything didn't go right for Philly this season. It was a, especially on the goaltending end, Carter Hart was good when he came in, but before he came in, I forget how many goaltenders the uh, Flyers used this season, but it was five or six or something like that.
1: Yeah, they set a league record, I think. For, yeah, it was for the most league. goaltenders used.
0: And the defense, unbelievable defense wasn't all that great either this season. I know they're a young defense, but they were not good this season. mm Hmm. And Philly's yeah, Philly is a younger team as teams go. They're like the Canucks where they've got a lot of cap space. They can make, They've got the space to make some big moves this off season if they so, ch- if they choose to do so. Uh, do you like Alain Villon in Philly? Do you think that's going to help them this season?
1: I think AV is a good coach. I'm of the opinion that with that team in particular, changing the head coach will not make a dramatic difference, but it will make some difference. You mentioned Carter Hart. I think a full season of Carter Hart, which, if you're being realistic, is probably somewhere between 45 and 50 games, depending on injuries, etc., how he's playing, is probably enough to get this team at least into the playoff picture. So there is that. They did get something for Wayne Simmons, which I was surprised how much they got, but good for them. Good season for Couturier and Giroux. But like you mentioned, the rest of the roster, mainly the defense, definitely a concern.
0: Yeah, it is a concern. I do think that if you're Philly, you've got to be a bit patient with Carter Hart. He's a solid goaltender, but you can't push him too extreme. I, I agree with you. I, I don't see him playing more than 45, 50 games next season. He's not ready to take on 60-plus games yet.
1: No, absolutely not. That would be crazy.
0: All right, let's keep moving along. We've got Minnesota. And Minnesota is in a bit of a tough situation as well.
1: Yeah, they're quite similar to the Ducks and all the other teams we talked about where they're a good team, but too many bad contracts, especially the Parise contract, whereas the Ryan Suter contract, I think has been worth every penny. He's one of the best defensive defenseman and overall defenseman in the league. Pretty good year for Devin Dubnik in the goaltending with Stalock. I don't feel like there's much else to mention. They traded a bunch of guys, so they have a little bit more cap space to work with now. They traded Niederreiter as well as Charlie Coyle. So we'll see. I mean, definitely a big challenge for the GM there.
0: Of the teams left, the one I really want to get to is Chicago. So let's get to Chicago because Chicago didn't have that great of a year. Of course, they made a bit of a run to the wild card as in the final couple of weeks, but Chicago fans can say, yeah, we were pushing for a wild card, but I'll respond by saying that's because of a weak Western Conference. If they were in the East, they would have been out a long time ago. And Chicago, as much as they still have Patrick Kane, the cap situation once again, a broken record, is not good for the Chicago Blackhawks.
1: It, You're right. It isn't. I do want to highlight one acquisition in particular that really paid off for them, Dylan Strom. When they made that trade, there was a fair amount of questions. And to be fair, Dylan Strom had not really performed well at the NHL level, but there was something about him... Coming to Chicago, playing in that top six, that really helped him. I think being around guys like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane can't hurt a player like that. He was excellent this year. Obviously, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, you know this. They- Eric Gustafson, 60 points on defense. If you predicted that at the beginning of the season you would have had a lot of money in your pocket.
0: Oh, yeah. Or you would have been a mind reader. <laughs> you could have a time machine go with the future. Now, uh, the, to me, the two contracts that are really hurting them are Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith's contract. Especially uh, Seabrook's. That's a really tough contract for them to have. $6.8 million per year through 23-24 with a no-move clause. And he's 34 years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that was way too much for way too long but remember a, a lot of this is is a former gm's mess that some current gm is cleaning up because if you remember five six seven years ago the move was to sign your star players to really long contracts you know yep. 10 12 years is that the move now no absolutely not <laughs> well we
0: still see it in other sports like mlb we you and I could go on and on about uh, Mike Trout's contract and uh, Bryce Harper's, but this is a hockey show. So, yeah. Yeah, you can tell the NHL is moving away from that a lot of GMs are aren't as comfortable signing their players to long-term deals like that. Or if they are, they're going to do what they did with Austin Matthews and give him a, a big signing bonus. Mhm. And I think that's the future of your long-term deal is you're going to you're not going to pay as much in the actual salary. But you're going to pay a lot in the signing bonus, and I think we're going to see more of that this off season. Now, very quickly, let's t- t- touch on a couple more teams. We don't have enough time to get to everybody, unfortunately. But let's talk. Let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens quickly, because if you look at the NHL standings, it's a bit of an oddity here. You've got normally it's your top 16 teams make the playoffs, right? Well, Montreal is at 14th and they didn't make the playoffs. Montreal, uh, I think, had a very good season.
1: They really did. I think most people were pleasantly surprised with the way this team played, considering the roster and the questions that were asked going into the season. Shea Weber was initially supposed to be out for a long time. He ended up coming back at about the halfway mark, and he was outstanding. Carey Price, solid as ever. Small goal differential, so only 13. Scoring goals was not really the issue. They finished number eight in the Eastern Conference. Max Domi was outstanding. Career high, 72 points. His previous career high was 52.
0: Max Domi was a steal for the or, sorry from the Arizona Coyotes because <laughs> Alex Gilchenyak didn't really do a whole lot with the Coyotes this season.
1: Yeah, he was... He was alright. He wasn't yeah, great. Yeah, he was
0: okay, but for what you gave up for him, I'd say it's a steal. Yeah. And another guy that looked really good with the uh Canadians this year was Thomas Tatar. I really like see how he played this season for the Canadians.
1: Yeah, he was pretty solid all things considered.
0: Yeah, Montreal. I think Montreal is a team that will be competing for a wild card and playoff spot next year. It'll be Interesting to see how the Canadians do. Of course, they still have Carey Price, and Carey Price will do Carey Price things. So this is going to be a, a fun team to watch next year. Now, the last team I want to touch on is Arizona. Because Arizona had a... Um, they, they Just like Buffalo, they were a team of two seasons. They had their rough start to the season, and then they got hot at the right time. They found themselves in the playoffs picture over the past last couple weeks of the season but it was to me it was that east coast swing where they went to tampa and new york and florida and they lost i think four or five games there that really hurt them
1: yeah you mentioned tale of two seasons it was like that once again this is this is a familiar story for the arizona coyotes this was the same story last year you had excellent goaltending. I think it's it's really simple if you look at off season needs. You need guys that can put the puck in the net.
0: When because there's,
1: there's only so much one nothing or two one games you can play.
0: Yeah, and there there's no lack of there's gonna be no lack of goal scorers on the free agent market this season. And just like the Vancouver Canucks, I don't think they can make as strong of a pitch as the Canucks here, but they could make a solid pitch saying that we're a team on the rise here and you can come live in Arizona where it's warm around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very simple. Now, do we quickly have time to talk about the Panthers yep. last team?
0: Yep. We do. All right. We'll have to squeeze it. it in, but we can do it. Yeah. So Florida, uh, Florida, you and I, I think we thinking back to our season preview all the way back at the start of October, you and I had some, uh, Pretty good expectations for the Florida Panthers. Remember, they finished the 17-18 uh, season very strong. They were a very good team down the stretch. And this year, they they just seem to never find their groove. Of course, Roberto Luongo really fell off this year, and he, injury bugs hit them. But to, to me, Florida is in a bit of a tough situation.
1: They are, especially with the cap. Another one of those teams... Kind of like you said, a broken record. You know Barkov was amazing. 96 points on that team. I can't even say how crazy that is. That's a new career high. His previous was 78. 92 points for Huberto. Pretty good seasons from Dadnov, Yandel, and Hoffman. Ekblad was not as noticeable offensively, but I thought he was much better as a two-way defender. Vinny Trocek, one of their better players, missed much of the season. Tough year for him. And like you mentioned, goaltending below average. Listen to this. No goalie that played for Florida had more than a 900 save percentage. That's bad.
0: I think that tells the whole story, if you ask me. Because looking at this team on paper and looking at the guys who play, especially on offense, and to a bit of a lesser extent defense, this is a team that may not turn heads night in and night out, but it should be a team that's better than where they are in the standings.
1: Yeah, and you bring in Coach Q. You've got some good prospects. You have another draft pick to play with this year. This is definitely a team that could turn things around pretty quickly with the right mix of players.
0: To me, it comes down to what do they do with the goaltending situation
1: this offseason? (laughs) No question. That is priority number one.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Dale Talon does on the goaltending situation because I love Roberto Luongo. I've been a fan of Luongo for... Years now, but you can tell he's dropped off now. He's 40 years old, coming to the end of his career.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's plain and simple for Luongo, you're right.
0: And the, the tough part with Roberto Luongo is that his contract's good till 2022. That's the thing that's rough about it, is that I get why you make that deal at the time, because Roberto Luongo was lights out. But now looking at it, it's going to be a tough contract to move, It's going to be a tough one to bear for the next three, four years.
1: Yeah, no question.
0: All right, so let's wrap things up here, Mac. How do you think this offseason is going to go? Do you think we're going to see a more active offseason?
1: I do because, like we've talked about before, I think there's a lot of teams looking to make moves, and I think a lot of teams are looking at what some of these teams like Carolina and the Islanders have done to kind of quickly turn around their teams, you know, for example, new head coach, new defensive system, some players gone that you wouldn't expect to be gone and making the most of their cap signing bargain players like Robin Leonard was an absolutely crazy signing. Same with Peter Mrazek. And there's some other guys like that. You can find value in the free agent market. You just have to, find players that are kind of undervalued or people don't expect a lot from. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a fascinating off season, not only for these teams that we just mentioned, but a number of the contenders have big decisions to make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that more next week when we recap round number two, and we'll talk about teams that will have some big decisions to make as the off season quickly approaches. That's it for me. Matt, do you have any final words to say?
1: No. Thanks again for listening. This was a lot of fun. Matt and I really enjoyed this, and we look forward to another show next week. Enjoy the playoffs. Remember to listen on SoundCloud and listen on iTunes. You know where to find us. Just look up Center Ice under podcasts.
0: Yep. Thanks again for listening to the show. We look forward to seeing you all back here Next week, we tend to record around noon Eastern time, so we'll have the show up around 1.32 o'clock. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.